there's a better way to make high-quality video ads. You know, like the ones that drive performance on every platform across the internet? QuickFrame by Mountain has hacked the video production process to deliver a faster, more efficient way to produce content. Through a global network of creators hungry to bring your brand's vision to life, you'll be able to iterate and improve upon your campaigns mid-flight, creating a feedback loop of testing and learning so you can scale your business and reach new audiences. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Julie Edelman. Julie is the Global Chief Commercial Officer at Double Verify. She's had a legendary career uh, and unusually has spent long periods of time in two places. And we're going to get into that in, a, in an age when people jump around from gig to gig. Continuity and stability have been hallmarks of Julie's career, and she's doing the same now at Double Verify. So, Julie, welcome, and it's great to have you. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. So, Julie, I find there is a certain grittiness, I'll use another word, moxie, that I associate with people from the part of the country that you are from, which is the great Midwest, and in particular, the great Hoosier state, Indiana. Can we talk a little about those Indianapolis and Indiana roots and how that shaped you. And I'd love for you to either sort of agree with what I just threw out there, or if you disagree, to disagree. Sure. Um, well, what I would say is I definitely agree with the kind of grittiness, the humbleness, the work ethic. Um, I, I would say the high integrity of the folks that are from the Midwest. Um, what, I, what I will take a little bit of a of account to is I am a huge Boilermaker. So I am from the Hoosier State, but I went to undergrad and grad school, both at Purdue. Uh, I am a tried and true Boilermaker. Both my parents went to Purdue. So I am a Boilermaker from the wonderful Hoosier State. Fantastic. And talk about Purdue. You have two degrees from there um, and uh, obviously family history, but I would imagine that also helped shape you. Yes, absolutely. So I went to Purdue for both um, undergraduate and uh, grad school. Both my parents went to Purdue. They were presidents of their houses there. They met at a president's council meeting, fell in love and still married 62 years later. So, um, you know, I don't know that I was predestined to go to Purdue. Um, and I definitely looked at a lot of other schools, but I would say Purdue in particular has a a history and a reputation of, um, you know, being a really tough academic data-driven school. It's obviously incredibly well-known for its engineering school, but no matter what degree um, you get at Purdue, there is a very disciplined, um, very rigorous academic data-driven program. And so, um, I went there for my undergrad degree and uh, the undergraduate degree that I went in is actually called consumer affairs. So it was a very different type of degree that combined business. So all the basic business classes with psychology. Um, and it was created by an amazing, very senior executive uh, who retired from PNG about 10 years ago. Her name is Charlotte Otto. So she, in the early 70s, saw the need for 
the combination of a business degree paired with psychology um, that really got into in-depth of consumer behavior. And so that's the degree that I uh, pursued as an, in a, as an undergraduate, and I absolutely loved it. And then you moved on also with high honors uh, to get a master's of science in consumer behavior from Purdue as well. What did that additional level of academic rigor, another two-year program, what did that give you that the Bachelor of Sciences did not? I think um, it humbled me even more, that's for sure, because I was in a, in a program with um, incredibly brilliant people from all over the world. As a matter of fact, um, uh, it was probably 80% international students and 20% students from the United States. So I think um, one thing that it did was open my mind up much more to a global perspective which I think has been incredibly important for me for the rest of my career. I think the other thing that it did, not only from an academic rigor perspective in terms of the importance of data, the importance of statistics, the importance of um, grounding any recommendation that you might do to senior management in data and in insights. Um, I also had the amazing opportunity to be on the board of trustees as a student, as a graduate student. And so it exposed me to very senior, very successful people that ran an institution and ran an organization uh, when I was only 23 years old. So that was an amazing learning experience. Fantastic. And you then land at one of the great training grounds and one of the great companies this country's ever produced, Procter & Gamble and start a near 20-year run. Talk about that journey from Purdue to P&G, certainly a great bellwether company for so much of our industry, um, but how'd you get there? And what was your first gig? I know you rose to vice president, but you didn't start as VP. Talk about the very beginning and that very first day going right from Purdue to Procter & Gamble. Well, I actually started as an intern. So in between my first and second years of grad school, I was an intern at Procter & Gamble um, in an organization that was a little bit different than most of the rest of P&G. So it was in the commercial products group. So it was all of the amazing brands that P&G had, like Tide, like Dawn, um, like Pantene, uh, like Downey but we actually marketed and sold to institutions. So to hotels, to restaurants, to colleges and universities, to companies. So it was a little bit of different. It was, it was a really cool place to start because I actually was in an amazing, huge company that was really well known for brands and was really well known for B2C marketing. So, um, you know, directly to consumer marketing, but it was in a B2B area. So we actually represented those brands, but to businesses. So it was a, a little bit of a twist to start my internship at. And I, I absolutely loved it. Um, had an incredible experience. Went back to Purdue, finished my graduate degree, and then came back to P&G and worked on Sunny Delight and Hawaiian Punch. So I worked in the food and beverage division of which P&G does not have any more food and beverage products. Uh, but at the time we had really great well-known brands like Sunny Delight and Hawaiian Punch and Pringles and Crisco, um, Folgers Coffee. 
So I started my first um, about six, seven years with the company in the food and beverage division. Um, and I did work in the area that worked directly marketing to consumers. So, but with really fun, interesting, um, innovative brands, I would say, like a Pringles, um, like Sunday Delight and Hawaiian Punch. Fantastic collection of brands. Let's go back to that internship phase because I, I love that beginning. And I also was very fortunate um, where I went to school. I went to Emory in Atlanta and was able to intern at the Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I, uh, to this day, attribute those internships as sort of critical steps along the pathway of my career development and whatever modest degree of success I've had, I always, in my mind, trace those back to what I learned in those internships. Talk about that period and how important that was in setting you off on your career path. Yeah, I think it was it was critically important. I had some internships as an undergrad also um, that were really important to see all different aspects of the business. But the internship at uh, P&G, I think was really important. Um, and, and in any brand management or marketing role at P&G, I think one of the unique opportunities you get is you get ownership from the first day that you set foot into the company. So they give you a variety of projects. I had four projects that I had to deliver in 11 weeks at P&G, and they gave you full ownership of delivering those projects. They had somebody that they, um, obviously you had to report to as, as a brand manager, but then they gave you a an intern boss or an intern coach. And that person coached me all the way through my internship. And he was able to teach me some, some of the fundamentals of the systems that were available, the data that was available, how P&G approached um, solutions and problem solving and collaboration. But then he gave me full ownership of delivering those projects. And that's how P&G starts people off from the very beginning. Full ownerships of projects, but with really strong coaches that are invested in the success um, and in your your future success at PNG. And the, the coach that I has, had as an intern is Chris Hood, and uh, he's been the president at Kellogg's for the last 10 years, an incredible guy. Fantastic. So it's a little bit of a combination of that legendary by reputation P&G training, but also a lot of trial by fire. Absolutely. Again, you know, I think what P&G um, really does encourage is to learn to, um, you know, to learn and, and to really dig deep into the data from the very beginning. And if you're going to fail, fail fast and move on. Fail fast, learn, document, share with other people in the organization, and then move on. Mm. Great, great uh, words to live by from a business vantage point, for sure. So, Julia, you did so much there. We can't cover it all. And, of course, I want to get to your tenure running global clients at Google and then hone in on your work with Double Verify. But can we talk a little bit about some of the great sports-related work that you did at P&G? I think some of their uh, campaigns and activations around the Olympics in particular uh, have been most memorable and really stood out. I think so many of the companies that acquire and spend all the money and time and effort to get the Olympic rights don't exploit them. 
very well. Uh, but I thought the work that you did at P&G for the Olympics in particular was really exemplary and broke through to the point where here we are all these years later in 2022, and I still remember it and I'm asking you about it. So that's one measure of success, I suppose. Um, so can we talk about that a little? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I believe that you're referencing the Thank You Mom campaign and um, yes, yes, indeed. The now, yeah, the now 12 year partnership that PNG has had with uh, the International Olympic Committee and the USOC. And I do think that PNG, again, back to the fundamentals, um, what PNG did at the very beginning was what is the core consumer insight? that really connects consumers and viewers of the Olympics um, with feelings that will, that they will remember for the rest of their lives. And what is core to any Olympian that gets to that really high level of success and achievement is most of the time, a mom, a parent, a combination of parents who have really supported them really given up things from the very beginning of that athlete's career. And PNG has an amazing collection of world-class brands that helps moms make their lives easier on a daily basis to be able to take care of their family, take care of their family with the best products that are available at the best value that is available. And, and moms know that they can count on the products and they're not going to fail. So the combination of athletes thanking their moms from the very beginning and moms being able to count on P&G products on a day-to-day -day basis to take care of their family has really resonated um, in every single Olympics for the last 12 years. And P&G is continuing that incredible sponsorship. And I think one of the things that's I'm most proud of, and I think the PNG people, Mark Pritchard, Janet Fletcher, who have really worked on that from the very beginning 12 years ago, is the ability to really bring those stories to life and an individual athlete basis. So they pick out a variety of athletes each and every Olympics. And I'm very proud to say that PNG has in particular very much focused on the amazing female athletes that have really broken through over the Olympic, uh, Olympic games over the last decade and told their stories with their moms from the very beginning. And those have really, really resonated um, with consumers and viewers um, over the last decade. And NBC's done an amazing job uh, partnering with P&G on that over the last 10 years. Yeah, it's a great campaign. And I think what you hit on it, all the key areas, but, you know, in my mind, it sort of connects the head to the heart. And uh, I think celebrating athletes and female athletes in particular and celebrating their moms, just so well done. And uh, that it's had legs and gone on now for must be seven or eight rounds of Olympic Games across summer and winter really says something. Yep, they, they uh, have done an amazing job. And I think, um, you know, one thing that really does talk about the success of a campaign is that the fundamentals of the campaign stay the same, but there's an ability to refresh it 
uh, every couple of years and you're able to carry that story on with new athletes that are, you know, coming to the forefront at each and every Olympic Games. Fantastic. So you have this great run, almost 20 years, uh, and then uh, Google comes calling and you end up in a huge global client role overseeing their partnerships and growth strategy for Google's biggest clients, including P&G, but other great companies like Coca-Cola and McDonald's and General Mills, many others. How did that journey begin? Was it a phone call? Was it an email? Was it a random cup of coffee? Uh, not everybody leaves a gig like you have unless it's for another wonderful gig. Uh, sounds like that's what happened here. Yes. Yeah, so I loved P&G. I still love P&G and work with them on a daily basis. Um, I was not looking for an outside opportunity, but in my last role at P&G, I was in a role that was a VP of brand operations for Procter & Gamble. So it's pretty much like being the CMO of North America across the P&G portfolio. So I ran all of the centralized marketing services, marketing processes, the media planning, the media buying, all of the branded entertainment, the sports marketing for all of the brands in North America. So because of that role, I had the amazing opportunity and had a total blast being the person who was externally partnering with all of the large media companies in the United States. So I had great relationships with the Disney's, the ESPN's, the NBCU's, the CBS's and Paramount's, and then also with the Googles, the Facebooks, the Snapchats, et cetera. So I was one of the largest clients for Google. So I worked really on a weekly basis with uh, a lot of the senior management at Google. Um, so at the time, and still is, it was Philip Schindler and um, uh, some other amazing folks. So when they were spinning up an organization that was a brand new organization to Google, partnering with the largest global clients and the largest global agency holding companies, they were looking for people that had backgrounds like me. Um, so they did come knocking at the door. Um, uh, I thought they really wanted me. And then six months and about 20 interviews later, um, I did end up in a global client partner role overseeing the global partnerships with P&G, Coke McDonald's, General Motors, Fiat Chrysler, um, and, and really had an amazing seven year run at Google. So what we did at Google was to try to understand what were the business objectives, what were the business opportunities with the largest global clients to utilize mostly Google's ad products. So that would be YouTube, Google search, and the Google display network. So what could Google do to drive Procter & Gamble's business? What could Google do to drive General Motors business? How could we utilize the amazing network and the amazing user reach that Google had to build those brands and those companies' businesses? Um, and then 
you know, towards the last three or four years that I was at Google, there was increasing increasing work across the broader span of Google. So some incredible work and opportunities with those clients, with the Google Cloud business, which is a huge priority for Google to build right now. And then in the Google Payments and Google X with some of their moonshots. So it was it was just an incredible learning experience, an incredible opportunity and really um, an honor to work with these titans of global companies that have been around for so many years and bringing the best of Google to those companies. It was an incredible experience. That's fantastic. I mean, what a, a first 25 years or so of a career. You have unique perspective uh, with both of these companies. They're both wildly successful, incredibly diligent in their approach to everything they do. Uh, you're not the first person who I've had tell me about the length uh, and the number of interviews for uh, a gig. And I think they approach everything, not just senior level, but entry level. They approach it all the same way. And it's probably one of the reasons why they're so successful. Talk about the culture of the two juxtaposing them against each other. Where are they similar and where are they different? And I'm not, this is not a gossip, you know, we're not trying to tell tales out of school here, but things that you're comfortable sharing, uh, these two incredibly successful companies, very different. Um, but I think there are probably some commonalities between the two. Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of commonalities between the two. And, and um, in terms of, you know, the uh, there, people are really smart, <laughs> really, really, really smart in both companies. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, but I also think, you know, in terms of the the integrity of the people at the companies, I, I mean, I found at both companies um, just the, the highest level of, of integrity individually and with their dealings on a business perspective. Um, I think the other thing that's really unique, um, but also common about each one of them is the focus on the consumer at P&G and the focus on the user at Google. So there is absolutely no question um, that the diligence, the rigor, the obsession with understanding the consumer at P&G, everything like if you are a PNG person that's working on Pantene, you know everything about a Pantene user, um, about its uh, and and a potential Pantene user. So you are going to know everything about a Pantene loyalist, and you're going to know everything about how can I get someone who is maybe a switcher, who uses Pantene, you know, once a week, but we would like for somebody to use Pantene five times a week. You know everything about that Pantene consumer and what can you do? What can I do to make the product better, to make the packaging better, to make the advertising and the marketing better, to get somebody to use Pantene more? The same thing would be true for any product person or any marketing person at Google. You know, if you're working on Google search, you want to know everything about a user who you know uses Google maybe once or twice a week, and that's probably not the case. It's probably somebody using Google 10 times a week and you want them to use Google 20 times a week. What can you do um, to get them to 
love to get them to trust, to get them to use Google in new and different ways. And, and both PNG and um, Google people are obsessed with knowing everything that they can about the user or the consumer, about making that experience the best possible that they can and getting um, you know, those users and those consumers to be as loyal as possible. You know, I think the things that are that are different is that they're just different, they're different industries. So the the pace of innovation at Google obviously needs to be and has to be much faster. The way that um, technology and product is built, the ability to iterate, and um, the, the ability to um, produce new products is just much quicker. The, the CapEx and the OpEx is just much less expensive to be able to innovate on a quicker basis um, than it is at P&G if you're going to build a line or build a new plant to innovate on a product or to build an entirely new plant to support a new brand that's gonna be much, much more expensive. So the life cycle of a product or a brand to be introduced at P&G is just gonna be a lot longer. But I think the innovation process at both companies is, is very similar. And it was really cool to be able to see that from the different perspectives. So interesting. So Jill, let's talk about the road to double verify. I love what the company does in the effectiveness space um giving folks confidence in what their digital dollars are doing but talk about the journey of going from google to evp and global chief commercial officer at double verify sure so um at google very interestingly um a very small part of my role but let's say about 10 percent of my role was to be an executive sponsor in a couple of different areas. And when you get to be a fairly senior person at Google, um, you usually have a couple of projects or areas that you're an executive sponsor of. So one of the areas that I was the executive sponsor of was of measurement. So that was measurement kind of across the board, measurement on YouTube, measurement on Google search. What were the tried and true ways that we could make sure that our products were as easily as independent third-party verified and as trustworthy uh, measured um, as possible from a YouTube perspective and from a, uh, from a Google Display Network and from a Google Search perspective. So I had the unique opportunity to work with all of the third-party verification measurement partners that worked with Google across the board. And that is how I was first exposed to Double Verify probably about seven or eight years ago. So um, I knew you know, a little bit about Double Verify and, and what their goal was, what their vision was, what their mission was. Um, and I was really interested in the space. I mean, I, I came from P&G where I was accountable to Mark Pritchard and to the CFO and to the CFO, CEO at P&G, I literally had about a $4 billion checkbook that I was responsible for. And so we knew that we needed third-party verification of 
the media dollars that we were spending to make sure that we were spending it like NBC and like Disney and like Facebook and like Google told us we were spending it. So um, I had, I just had a really interesting perspective of coming from the world's largest advertiser, then coming from one of the largest digital players in the world, but knowing that there needed to be third-party verification of all of those dollars um, that the world's largest advertisers were spending in the digital media space. So it was just a, an interesting opportunity. Again, I was not looking. I loved and still love Google and work with Google on a daily basis also. But there was this incredible um, opportunity to be the chief commercial officer at a company that I really respected with um, a couple of amazing women on the board. So we have one of the most diverse boards of any public company that you will find. Um, Laura Desmond is on our board. He was the former CEO of Publicis Media and Terry List is on our board, um, former very senior P&G finance person and also was the CFO at Gap and the CFO at Kraft and the CFO at Dix. So two women that I knew, um, incredibly bright, incredibly strategic, and also incredibly disciplined in everything that they do. And they reached out to me with this opportunity to be the chief commercial officer. I had absolutely no intention of leaving Google, um, but the more that I learned about EV and the mission of you know, really making the digital advertising ecosystem stronger, safer, and more secure, Learn, you know, met the executive leadership team and um, learned more about just the, the very important mission of not only keeping advertisers and agencies safe, um, but I have five children, I have one grandchild, um, and it's really, really, really important to me personally to keep our children safe from a digital ecosystem perspective. And it kind of put all of that together. Uh, and I was able to be offered this opportunity to be the chief commercial officer. And it's been, it's been an amazing 18 months since I accepted the job and started the job. Fantastic. And I love, you know, that this is grounded in not a business responsibility, but a human one as a parent. I think that's fantastic. And I, I agree with you completely. Can we talk a little bit about some of, uh, dig a little deeper on some of what Double Verify is doing in the marketplace? In particular, what stood out to me is the notion of the authentic impression and what you're doing there, something that's proprietary, that's unique to Double Verify. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, we've actually even, you know, the the authentic impression is is how we have grounded everything that we've done. We've actually even added on to the authentic impression and we have a unit that's actually called the authentic ad. And really what that means is that the ad is delivered. We can guarantee that an advertiser's ad is delivered fraud-free, brand safe and suitable. It's viewable by a human and in the geography that an advertiser intended. Um, and, and, and we can guarantee that, we can measure that 
so that an advertiser knows that they should pay for that ad. They should pay Disney. They should pay um, Facebook. They should pay YouTube for that ad. So in a, in kind of in layman's term, if I was the brand manager of Axe Deodorant, I was the brand manager of Oreos Cookies. If I buy an ad on YouTube or I buy an ad on ESPN or on WebMD, double verify can measure and guarantee that that ad was viewable by a real human in the brand suitable environment that I want, that I can set. So it's very different. <laughs> Axe deodorant's brand suitability guidelines are very different than Oreo cookies brand suitability guidelines. And I can guarantee, double verify, can guarantee that it's in the geography intended, whether that be the United States versus Canada or whether that be Cincinnati versus New York. So um, if you think about how much money these large companies, Unilever and Mondelez are spending on digital advertising, it's critically important that they have a third party that can measure that and measure that in real time and get them that data so that then they can then optimize their buying and their planning in real time. Incredible. And, and looking at Double Verify and Julie Beyond, how do you think we're doing as an industry in this incredibly steep challenge of not only measurement, but measurement of effectiveness and impact in the digital space? If you're, it's one to 10, one, we're doing a terrible job, 10, we're doing a great job. What do you give us as an industry? I would say we're doing about a three or a four. And I think, um, you know, we're really at the crawl stage of crawl, walk, run in terms of digital measurement, um, in terms of, um, you know, really being able to measure in a very granular level um, in, a, in a guaranteed fashion in real time and for advertisers to be able to do that, um, you know, in a real-time manner. So I think one of the biggest challenges that we have right now is that planning and buying are still quite separate. Um, so you can measure, but then being able to feed that real-time um, into a planning system that can then in real-time adjust and then buy, um, especially if you are a large global brand and you're working with an agency on that. Um, again, I think we are at the very beginning stages of not only the companies like Double Verify, but also in terms of an end-to-end -end planning, buying, real-time measurement, and then being able to feed those insights and that data um, uh, in a very circular fashion to be able to optimize that. So I, I think we're at the very beginning stages. And to be honest, that's what's so exciting about Double Verify. We've been around for 12 years. I think that we are the leader um, in third-party digital measurement and in um, third-party optimization, but we are at the very beginning of our journey. Such an exciting time. Uh, I, my literacy here is finite. I'm going to get myself in trouble quick if I try to go too deep.
But I do know that this notion of cross-media measurement is a real priority for uh, leaders globally in the industry. We're uh, aware of conversations with many of the trade groups who we uh, know and love, like the World Federation of Advertisers, and of course, here in America, the ANA, the 4As, the IAB. And there seems to be unanimity that cross-media measurement for the industry overall is an absolute priority. Do you think, Julie, that the parts of the industry that need to be connected to make that effort successful are talking to each other? Or are we still in a situation where many of the players who need to unite and break down the walls are still separated by more traditional silos in terms of their approach to the challenge? Yeah, I think everyone is talking to each other. And I, I think that they've been talking to each other for a couple of years. That is definitely part of the work uh, that I was doing at Google, that I was talking to my large global clients about, um, and that we're continuing to have conversations on. Um, now that I am a double verify, I know it's a huge priority for the WFA. It's a huge priority uh, for the ANA. It is a real challenge. Um, you know, from a from a getting everyone on the the the, the same page, the same goals perspective, but it, also, it is also just realistically a really big technology challenge um, to be able to to break down those silos, to be able to do that cross media measurement. So, um, I am not privy to the most recent conversations. Um, you know that the most senior people have had. From a from a WFA and an ANA perspective, I think a double verify where we are is that that we believe that there will actually probably need to be multiple measures that then will have to be um, put together in some sort of form or fashion, maybe in a cloud type format, um, and and advertisers and agencies. Uh, we'll, we'll need to be able to work across, I would say, like multiple measures or multiple currencies, um, because I think it's going to be a real challenge in terms of technology to be able to go across cross media. Well, it's, it's an absolute uh, fascinating area, a minefield in many ways, but also an area of opportunity in others. Uh, and uh, that you are playing right in the middle of that space, sort of in the Yankee Stadium, if you will, of cross-media measurement being at Double Verify, that's got to be really intellectually quite stimulating. It is. I learn something new every day. There's no question. I'm glad that my product and the engineering leadership and counterparts are very patient with me and they explain things to me uh, every day. So, it is a, it's an exciting place to be. It's an interesting place to be. Um, you know, I think again, like if we think about where we are and where we need to be, um, and I think where we'll get to in the next five years, I would say we are at the crawl space. Hopefully we'll be, we'll be at the walk phase, uh, in two to three years and we'll be running, um, in, in five or six years. I think one of the biggest challenges that you know, enters into this, which also is a whole nother minefield, is is privacy uh, and where consumer privacy is in the middle of all of this. And obviously where regulation, um, not only in the United States, but there will be different regulation across 
the world. And that's kind of the, the canary in the coal mine in terms of being able to make adjustments every couple of years in the technology to be able to do that cross-media measurement. I think that's where, you know, even with the Googles and the Microsofts and the Amazons and the, the Disneys and the NBCUs, it is just really, really challenging technology challenges that also the regulations that are changing every couple of years really uh, throw a wrench into. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, so complicated. I mean, the digital pipes don't see borders, but government regulators and traditional geographic lines of demarcation define borders for us. And uh, that will make this even more interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, area as well. Well, Julie, this has been absolutely fascinating. I loved our conversation. Uh, it's it's intellectually stimulating for me as a you know as a relative uh, luddite in many of these. Uh, really deeply technologically grounded areas, but I've learned a ton and your journey is incredible uh, from intern to mom and, and a grandmother um, and an incredibly accomplished career, which you are still very much in the midst of at Double Verify. So we loved having you and I'd love to do a round two of this as you go from crawl to walk to run. I think it's a, something that we should continue to stay engaged with and a very, very important bellwether issue for our entire industry. Absolutely. I would love to do that, Matt. It's going to be a really exciting next few years ahead. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks for doing this, Julie. Thank you. Creating videos doesn't have to be expensive and time consuming. At Quick Frame by Mountain, you'll get all the creativity without any of the baggage. Their solution has facilitated more than 65,000 high-performing on-brand video ads designed for both audience specificity and rapid creative testing. Get matched with a diverse community of creators across the globe who have the skills you need to bring your big and small ideas to life. Big screen performance on every screen in the home? It's not too good to be true. It's just how they roll. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more.